before I start on that, I want to tell you a brief story of my history with the Psalms. Um, I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. And so I've known the Bible all my life. Um, I've read Psalms all my life. And when I was a Christian, I, like many people, Psalms was that, you know, that more human part of the Bible that everyone can relate to. Um, you know, we, always go, we all go through times of trouble, and we all ha- go through times of joy, and there seems to be a psalm to fit every occasion and every emotion. And so I would, I would just read the psalms, and I would love them. I loved the psalms. So my favorite parts of the Bible, I read them, I used them as prayers, I used them as worship. And, and then I came here. And then, um, not here, as in, as in NCF. Don't worry, Nuneaton. <laughs> then I came to the lodge, and I did a school of biblical studies. And then every Friday morning at 8.30, our school leader, Phil, we had an out, would lead us in a, an hour on the Psalms and Hebrew poetry and proverbs and things like that. And as, as looking back on it, I remember a quote not from Phil, but actually from a TV show. Um, one of my favorite TV shows is The West Wing. I don't know if anyone has seen that. It's a brilliant show. But I remember one particular quote from it. Someone said, There's two things you should never know how they're made. Laws and sausages. <laughs> and I kind of added mentally to the list, and psalms too. Um, because I, I love sausages. You just ask my wife. I mean, like, if there's a choice between a very, very nice steak and some Cumberland sausages, I'll go for the sausages any time, every time. I love sausages. And so I don't want to know how sausages are made. Because I don't want to ruin the experience of my love of sausages. And, and what I discovered as I studied the Psalms, as I got to know Hebrew poetry and the patterns and the different things in them, my actual love of the Psalms started to diminish. Um, because it became just an academic exercise. And every time I opened... I opened the Bible, instead of reading a wonderful piece of poetry that helped me pray or um, helped me where I was, I was looking for parallels, I was looking for patterns, I was thinking of figures of speech and imagery and all this sort of thing. Um, And for years I kind of battled with this. And this kind of, I wanted to love Psalms again, but I had all this new knowledge. And then what it took actually was I'm, a whole bunch of trauma in my own life. And then suddenly, the Psalms came back. Um, When I went through my own really darkest experience, one of the first things I did is open my Bible to the Psalms. And again, that cry, that emotion, I got again. And now I use both. I have my geeky Bible brain, um, which can see all the patterns and all the Hebrew poetry and all the tricks of the trade kind of thing. But then I also... But now it helps me find even more emotion. So I've kind of blended them together. And so I love the Psalms again, just like I love sausages. Um, and I don't know, not, not to be bothered with laws. That's just part of the quote. The, the important thing is sausages. Um, okay. Well, and that's kind of why I chose this Psalm. Um, because I, this Psalm I like because, well, obviously... It has that connection to Jesus on the cross in the New Testament. But I like it because it has this wonderful blend of, the, all the, of different types of psalms. It starts off with a major lament, like the, the author David is really crying out to God. But it ends in praise. 
And it doesn't just end in David praising, it ends with David and everybody around him praising. And so that's why I chose it. So what I'm going to do first is actually read Psalm 22. And then we will look at it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the... Why, from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you I was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like the potsherd, and my my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all of the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It is on. (laughs) Ah. Okay. I left my bottle at the back. Sorry. Thank you.
Okay. <clears throat> so what I did with Psalm 22, I looked at it, and I got my highlighters out, and I started looking for patterns, as, as I do. And, um, and so, oh, how can this help me find out the message here, uh, what's going on? And I found that the, the psalm breaks down nicely into two chunks, the lament part and the praise part. And then the lament part and the praise part breaks down into a nice pattern too. And so what I'm going to do is just walk through quickly that pattern with you and see what it teaches us. And then look at Jesus. <laughs> so this first part, this lament, kind of breaks down into what people like to call an interchange. It's when it looks, we, the, the author looks at one topic, then goes to a nec- another, another topic, and then goes back to the first one, and then goes back to the second one again, and then goes back to the first one. So it's just repeating itself. Um, a, B, A, B, A, B. And it's basically repeating itself with a cry of lament, a cry of heartache, and then a statement of trust in God. That's basically what it does. So God, I kind of summarized it, God is far from me, but I know he can be trusted. All around me mock my trust in you, but you have been with me all of my life. I am under attack and no one can help me, but I know you can save me. So there's this pattern back and forth. So God is far from me. I kind of summarized each of these, each of these bits. So when it feels like I am alone, that even you have forsaken me, when I am at my lowest. So David here is at his lowest point. And it's interesting as you read on, when you actually read on what's happening to him. But the first thing he talks about is he can't feel God. So for David, the primary problem is that he, God seems distant. Not actually what's happening to him. <laughs> the first problem is that he can't feel God in the midst of his trouble. But his response to that distance is actually one of trust, of one of faith. He remembers all that he's done. He remembers what God has done in the past. And the interesting thing about this psalm for me, one of the interesting things, is that it's it's one man's cry from the heart, but all the way through he's talking about everybody else. All the way through he's thinking about not just himself, he's thinking about the congregation, he's thinking about those around him. And so he doesn't remember what God has done for him in the past. He remembers what God has done for Israel. He remembers what God has done for his people, for everyone in the past that he's a part of. That's his first response. Then he goes on to his second problem. And his second problem is that everyone around him is mocking him because he trusts in God. When all around me desert me, when they look down on what I've become, when they mock me for trusting you, when they say that no one can save me. So his second problem is that those around him do not share his trust. That he feels, not only does he feel alone in the fact that God isn't with him, he feels alone in his trust for God. Because those around him are mocking him and making fun of his trust in God. His second response, this is when he gets personal. (laughs) This is when he remembers what God has done for him. 
Then I remember that you have never left me or forsaken me. Despite what I feel, you have been there with me since the day of my birth. So David's second response again is trust and knowing that what he's feeling right now isn't the truth. That not feeling God is false, is not real, because he remembers that God has always been with him throughout his life. Therefore, God must be with him right now. It's just that some, for some reason, he can't feel it. But he remembers, even from his first breath, God has been with him every second of his life. The third problem. The third problem is probably what most people think is the first problem, the major problem, what's actually happening to David that makes him feeling like this. But again, in David's mind, the actual physical attack that he's feeling is the least important of his problems. When I'm surrounded on all sides by my enemies, when I am weak, when I am nothing and have nothing left, when I'm attacked, defeated, and the point of death. So David has been attacked by his enemies. He seems to be surrounded by them. He feels like he has nothing left. He's at the point of defeat. And that's what's really causing this problem. But for David, that's the least important thing. The least important thing is his challenge. <laughs> the far more important in his mind is his relationship with those around him. And far more important than all of that is his relationship with God. So the fact that he cannot feel God in times of trouble or has bad relationship with his friends or those around him in bad times of trouble is worse than the times of trouble. Do you see what I mean? Sorry, my phone and my computer are not having difficulty talking to each other at the moment. Oh, yes, ignore that. It should be another one before. There you go. But his response again is trust. Then I know you will not be far away. You will help me in need. You will rescue me from my enemies. You will heal my wounds. You will save me from death itself. So again, he simply trusts God. Despite what I'm feeling... Despite what's going on and those around me, I know you, you will save me. You aren't far from me. What I feel and what I said in the first line of this psalm is not the truth. My, my, my God, my God, you haven't forsaken me. I know you're here. I know you're with me. You will rescue me. You will save me. You've done it in the past and you'll do it again. Okay, so that's the depressing side of the song, of the psalm. The lament, the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then David shifts gear. And the rest of the psalm isn't a lament, it's a praise. And it's not just him praising, it's everybody praising. It's a corporate praise to God. And there's a nice little pattern in here too. Um, one of my favorite things about ancient writing is the way they, I think they were far more imaginative in the way they wrote. And one of the things they did, that actually the way 
the way text is arranged in patterns is actually far more kind of ordered than the way we do now. That they actually arrange text in order to give a message even more than the words that they're actually saying. And there's lots of this in the Hebrew poetry and in the Psalms. And this particular one um, has many names, um, a chiastic structure, a chiasm, a chiasm, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, but the idea is, is a text that mirrors itself. So it begins with one topic, moves on to another topic, and then moves on to another topic, and then goes back to the second one, and then finishes with the first one again. So it's like a mirror. And usually, it's the bit in the middle that stands out because it's not repeated. This is ironic. Usually in the Bible, if something is repeated, it's important. But when you see this kind of writing, it's what's not repeated is actually what stands out. And that's what you have here. You have a statement of praise at the beginning. I will praise you and lead others in praise. And then there's a bit about God's character, who he is. For you hear our cries and save us. And in the middle, there's this huge big picture of the whole world worshipping God. All of those who seek him throughout all the nations worshipping God. And then he goes back to God's character again. That he is the king of all, the king of the nations. And then he ends as he begins in this statement of praise and how he will lead others in praise. So look briefly at that. Because of what you have done, I will praise you. And not just me. I will tell others of your greatness and lead them in praise and together we will glorify you. So even before he's actually been physically rescued from his problems, David is already looking ahead to what he's going to do next. And what he's going to do next is tell everybody about it. What he's going to do next is tell everybody how God rescued them and praise God and then lead everybody else in praising God because of what he's done. So he's already thinking, how can I use this to get other people to glorify God? How can I use my trouble to bring other people closer to my God? He's already thinking that in the same time period that he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he looks, and the reason because of this is he knows the character of God. He knows that they will praise God because he is a God who listens. He isn't far away. He does listen to people. He does save people. He does rescue people. And this middle part, all the world who seek your worship, all the earth will know your greatness. All who seek and fear you will worship together. All the afflicted shall be rescued and worship you. So then David throws this worldwide. Not just talking about himself or Israel anymore. He just talks, starts for, sudden, for some reason, starts talking about all the nations. That what's true for his life and what's true for Israel's life will actually be true for all nations. That anyone in a, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moment... <laughs> who cries out to God, will be heard, will be rescued, will be saved, and they will worship him. Then he goes back to the character of God. 
The reason that everyone will praise and the reason it's because of all nations is that God is not just king of Israel. Because you are our king, all the earth and its peoples are yours and you are greater than all of our afflictions. God is the king of the whole earth. He's not just the king of David. He's not just the king of Israel. He's the king of everyone, all of the nations. And then he ends by leading people in worship again. But here he has a bigger view than just those around him. Because you have rescued us, because you have blessed us, we shall praise you and lead those who come after us. Our children will worship you. It starts talking about the, ne- the generations to come. And so he's saying that not only are we going to use my story and our story to worship you right now, we will pass these truths on. We will pass on who God is to the next generation, and they too will worship because of this. I think it's amazing the guy who is going through so much trouble is thinking so far ahead. He's actually thinking, God is going to rescue me from this situation, and I'm going to tell everyone about it, and we're going to worship him, and then we're going to tell our kids. And they will worship him because of what God has done for me. You know, and he was right, because we're all here talking about it. He was very true in looking ahead, because now we can use Psalm 22 to worship God. He was absolutely right. But it's not just about David, because this psalm is even more famous because of Jesus. Because Jesus quotes it on the cross. Moments before his death, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most around them misunderstand what he's talking about. I think he's calling for Elijah to save him. But he's not. He's not talking about Elijah. He's talking about this psalm. He's quoting the first line of this psalm. Why? This has always puzzled me. That Jesus would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's like, did God desert God <laughs> at that moment? It, you know, the Trinity is complicated enough without the added complication of one of them leaving for a couple of days. You know, I don't know how that works. <laughs> um, I've always puzzled over this. Now, obviously, Jesus was also 100% human, and so in that moment of suffering, he would feel that. Um, but I think that's why he chooses this psalm. Because the truth of this psalm that we've seen is that God hasn't forsaken David. It's just that that's what it felt like to David. And I think that's true for Jesus too. God hadn't deserted Jesus. It just felt like he had because his human side going through that suffering. Um, so I think there's something a bit more going on there than just, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, Hebrew writers had this strange habit. We give titles to books. They kind of didn't. Um, The Hebrew books, the original books, the Hebrew Bible, did not have titles. They were merely referred to by the first line of them. So the Hebrew word for Genesis was literally the words in the beginning, because that's the first line of Genesis. Or Leviticus, um, but that one actually fits. Because it is about the beginning. But then you get to a book like Leviticus with its focus on holiness and ritual and sacrifice. 
But the actual Hebrew title is, and he called. Because it's the first phrase of Leviticus. And that really doesn't have anything to do (laughs) with the topic of the book. So it might be that Jesus, by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually, in Hebrew, he's, he's giving the title to this psalm. You see what I mean? By saying the first line, it might be that he's implying the whole thing. Obviously, he's on the cross, he's dying, he probably hasn't got time to write, to, to, to cry out the whole psalm. Maybe he's pointing to us to this psalm in his moment, in his darkest moment, perhaps. So is Jesus, you know, in that one phrase, actually saying a whole big prayer that this, you can sum up by this psalm? Is he saying, Father, you feel so far away, but I know that you, I can trust you. Father, they are mocking my trust in you because they were around him. They were mocking Jesus for what he was. But I know you are with me always. Father, I am being attacked. I am dying. I have lost everything. But I know you can save. Now, ironically, of course, Jesus did die. (laughs) But we know the end of the story, that he was saved because he was resurrected. He did come back to life. But is it more than just that cry of the heart? Is he actually talking about the second part of the psalm as well? Is he saying, I will tell everyone around me of your salvation and I will lead others to be closer to you, to worship you. You will save me, you will resurrect me, but you will also do that for everyone else who trusts in you. And in fact, the whole world who seek you will worship you and be saved because you are king of all. And all generations will praise you because of what you're doing through me now. There's a very important word when it comes, when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Maybe. <laughs> we don't know. But I like that idea. I like the idea that there was more than just Jesus's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there's so much about in this, in this psalm about not just suffering, but trusting, having faith in God, and telling everyone else around it, and the whole world being saved. And to finish, I think this psalm can help us too. There's a lot of people facing many, many challenges in this church right now. Um, Some of them can sound actually quite similar to what David is talking about. If you think of the struggles we've had with people's health recently, that that weakness, losing losing that physical strength that he talks about. Um, So I think Psalm 22 can help us. It can help everyone, but I think it can particularly help us with the challenges we face. 
Whether or not that's what Jesus meant on the cross, I think it's what David meant. And we can use it anyway. So we can quote Psalm 22. We can have, if you like, um, a liturgy based on Psalm 22. Um, I will forever be an Anglican at heart. And so, <laughs> wherever, whatever church I'm in. <laughs> so, I love liturgy. So this is my, based on what I've talked about and what David has said, this is my liturgy of Psalm 22. Father, you feel so far away. But I know I can trust you. Father, they are mocking my trust in you. But I know you are with me always. Father, I am attacked. I am dying. I am losing everything. But I know that you can save me. I will tell of your salvation and lead others to worship you. You will save me and you will save us all who trust in you. All the world who seek you shall be saved for you are the king of all and we will lead our children to praise you for what you have done. (coughs) And I love the way the last line of this psalm where he talks about your righteousness and you have done it. Amen. Thank you so much, Andy. Before, before the MacBook disappears, does it play USBs? Videos? Maybe. (laughs) It's just that I found out this morning ours won't. You're fantastic. I have to say that was, um, it started off hugely challenging, but I feel lots better now. (laughs) That was really, really good. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, We're going to have communion now. So, I will just read from Luke. Luke chapter 22. And I was... um, 